My mother tried to be a good mother, and um, she was a good mother. But I still had hurts from my childhood, just like my children did theirs. For most of you, forgiveness of your mom, picking up where you are with her now and learning to accept her and see her as a woman and appreciate who she is now is all you will need to do. But for some, the wounds are deep and history with moms have been difficult. And so we're all in different places with this. Some of us have mom wounds and some of us have been moms that have caused wounds. And so tonight is a little, little rough for us women, but I believe in a God who heals and I believe in a God who comforts and a God who restores and a God who redeems. And so tonight we're going to be um, a little vulnerable, open ourselves up a little bit, look at some things, and ask him to do a work in us tonight. Are you game? Will you be brave with me? Okay. If you'll turn to um, Matthew 12. Now, I'm going to go through a lot of scriptures, kind of like Pastor Chuck did this morning. And he was on a time crunch because his sermon was long, and I'm on a time crunch because my sermon's long, so I'm going to talk really fast too, and we're going to go through the scriptures really fast. So... I might read them before you get to them, okay? Matthew 12, beginning at verse 48. Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Behold my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my mother, my brother, and sister. See, Jesus had a different idea about family ties. He focused more on the spiritual and relational ties rather than blood ties. Some of the people that are closest to me in my life are not my blood relatives. They're actually sisters in Christ. And there is a, uh, a bond and a richness and a tightness there that comes literally through Christ and his blood in us that causes us to be bound together, to understand one another, to get one another at a different level than um, maybe someone in a family that is not a Christian. My, most of my family is not saved. And so this part of me they know nothing about. This person that's the pastor, teacher, all of that, they've never seen, they don't know, they've never seen this part of me. And so for some of us, we are different people away from our families than we are with. And so sometimes Christian sisters are the people that God brings into our life that really connect us and cause us to be tight and have a rich place to dwell. The key to all of this is our willingness to focus on what we need to focus on, deal with it, and then move on. And I don't know about you, but moving on is sometimes is the hardest part. I came to a, a time when I realized that I can only blame my parents, my abusers, and the people of my past for so long. And then it was when you start to get up into your 30s and 40s, all of a sudden you realize you can't blame it when you were five anymore. You kind of have to take responsibility for where you are and who you are and the kind of person you're going to be. And so that's been my adult journey, is trying to become the person that God has called me to be and no longer blame the past for my present or my future. So let's define the mother wound. It's an ongoing emotional, relational, or spiritual deficit ordinarily met in a healthy relationship with mom that must now be overcome by other means. And some of us spend a lifetime trying to fill that hole. What are the losses that you've had with your mother? I had to think about this one. I actually had to pray. One of the things that I've really learned that helps me as I grow and develop is to really be brave enough to ask God to show you, to show you where your weaknesses are, to show you the things that have wounded you, that have caused pain in your life. And 
to be willing to let him bring that to the surface so that you can then hand it back over to him. He already knows it's there, but sometimes we don't know it's there. And so if you're not sure where you're at with your mom or, or maybe some effects that you've had from that relationship, even positive ones, let's celebrate the positive things too that we walk away from with our mothers. And, um, but ask the Lord to show you some of those things. Some of mine, are, they're kind of strange ones that came to mind, but one of them is sameness. I had a sister that's two years younger than I, and um, at Christmas and birthdays, we went to the store, different things. It was always the same. If one gift was bought for one of us, then one gift would be bought for the other. If there were three gifts under the tree, then there were three other gifts under the tree, and usually they were the same gifts. If I got the Easy Bake Oven, she got the Easy Bake Oven. Half of you don't even know what the Easy Bake Oven is. And, um, and so, you know, we went back and forth, back and forth like this, and so... I know in my parents' minds, they were just trying to treat us fairly and equally. But how that translated in my mind is that I did not have an identity of my own. And that me and my sister were always a lump together. And I, I was kind of one with her and not my own person. Another one is that um, my mom would often walk out of the room in the middle of me talking. Now I have to give her grace on this one because I never stopped talking. <laughs> and so in order for her to ever get a thing done, she would have had to have just left the room. But how that translated to me was an emotional disconnect that I wasn't important enough to stop and listen to. And so I learned to talk even better, even faster. I learned how to communicate better, which helps me to be a good communicator today. But I probably drove my mother up the wall, I'm sure. But what's funny about it is, is the wound that I walked away with. Another thing is that my mom was not a part of any of the abuse that I experienced as a child. But because the abuse happened, it translated to me that I was alone and unprotected. And even though my mom tells this sweet story, she actually told me not too long ago, I hadn't heard this story before. We lived across the street from an elementary school um, that I was going to, and when I was in kindergarten, I was big and I was um, independent at five. And I wanted to go to school by myself. Anybody heard those words? By myself. And so my mom tells me that that's all I kept saying. And so she let me walk. I had to walk down the street to the corner, cross in the crosswalk, and then walk back up the other side of the street and into the schoolyard. And so she said she would follow me at a distance and kind of stand to the side so I looked back and I would think I was doing it all by myself. But my mom walked literally with me all the way until she knew I was in, in the playground safely. But even though she tells that story, and I know my mom kept a close eye, still there was abuse and things that took place that don't, don't make sense. And so I came away feeling alone and unprotected. The main thing that we really want to focus on tonight is that God has a provision, a provision for those of us that have wounds. So if we dare to look at the wounds, then what? Well, Nicodemus and Jesus had a great conversation about what to do about Mothers. John 3, 4. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born again, can he? Jesus was talking about being born again spiritually, and Nicodemus was trying to figure out how to go back and redo it all over again. And some of us, that's what we spend the rest of our life doing, is trying to go back and redo it all over again and try to be, have a different relationship and a different outcome and a different everything, and we're spinning our wheels. We cannot go back into our mother's womb and start over again. But we can go to Christ, and Christ can give us a rebirth. 
and Christ can start us fresh, and Christ can heal us, and Christ can give us um, himself to fill the void. So let's look at the wounds and how God is the ultimate answer in each one of them. The first one is the emotionally detached wound. This often manifests itself um, as a person that, if any, does not have intimate connections with other people. Psalms 22.9 says, Yet you are he, God, who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breasts. Upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. God has an intimate connection with us even before we are born. God has a connection with us as he created us in his mind's eye and as he formed us together. He is our God. We may not know him at that point, and we may never choose to come to know him in our life, but he is always our God. It's just a matter on whether we decide to accept him and become his child. And so he has an intimate relationship with us when we are very, very young. For some of you, that's a scary thought. Because if God has been your God since you were born, then why did some of the things happen that happen? And you know, I had to ask that question and wrestle through some of that myself. It's a bold question to ask. Several people that I know that I've walked with through trauma and different things have dared to ask the question, God, where were you? Now, Pastor Chuck talked this morning about not fighting with God. And scripturally, we need to be respectful when we come to God. But I do believe that God can handle our pain and our questions. And I've gone to him. There was a, a time in my life, it was one of the worst moments that I remember. And I won't go into the details, but I was in a closet. And um, I remember being incredibly frightened, terrified. And that was the memory that always came back to me. And so I asked him one day, where were you, Lord? But I asked him with the understanding that I wanted to really know where he was and what he was doing in my life at that time and try to understand why was I there and where was he. And the amazing thing was is that during prayer, as my eyes were closed, I began to see a picture of me in this closet, and I was actually sitting on Jesus' lap. His arms were completely wrapped around me, and he had a hold of me, and he was whispering in my ears. I can almost hardly talk about it right now. You see, God does not let us go through things alone. People choose to do evil, and there's evil in this world. But the one thing God promises is that he will never leave us or forsake us. And that may sound like a flip Christian answer to you, but for me, in that moment when God showed me that, it really healed my soul. It did something in my being that changed, and that memory has become different ever since. And so I challenge you, if you have some horrible memories that you struggle with, you might dare to ask God one day, Lord, where were you? And let him show you where he was. The disconnected, emotionally disconnected woman is not rooted or grounded in love anywhere. The other day I was at Oak Glen, and I was sitting in a park and I was writing in my journal and I looked over and there was this beautiful tree it was actually two trees like this and at the base the roots had completely intertwined and they had grown literally together to where at the bottom I could not tell that they were two trees but they literally looked like one tree completely rooted together and bound together the roots had grown literally into each other and it was one whole entire mound of roots and you would not have been able to tell which root system which went with which tree they had become one together we can be rooted and grounded in love in christ if you have 
a hard time connecting emotionally because it's a little scary to put your roots down. It's a little scary to dare let your roots intermingle with another person's because sometimes you've experienced them being pulled and ripped apart, which I have in many different circumstances, not just with family, not just with abusers, but in different times throughout my life, and it's painful. But I'll tell you something. The richness and the blessing that I get from those that I have dared to put my roots together with far outweighs any of the disappointments or the pain that I've received from the times that they've been ripped apart. It's worth the risk. But in Christ, there isn't a risk. In Christ, we can be totally rooted and grounded in him in a way that we literally become one with him. This is one of my favorite prayers in scripture. It's in Ephesians chapter 3. It begins at verse 14. It's Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church. And what I'd like to do is actually pray it for you today. All of us could use a little more love, do you think? All right. So will you bow with me as I pray this over you? Lord God, for this reason I bow my knees before you, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that you, God, would grant each of these women, according to the riches of your glory, that they would be strengthened with power through your spirit in the inner woman, so that, Jesus Christ, you would dwell in their hearts through faith, and that each one would be rooted and grounded in your love, that they may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length, the height and the depth, and that each woman would know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that she would be filled up to all the fullness of God. And now to you, Lord, who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that I ask or think, according to the power that works within each woman here, to you be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. That prayer has been one that I have had to meditate on, pray over, and receive. Will you receive his love? Will you accept the fact that in him you can be grounded with him, you can be rooted with him, and he will bless you and he will love you and he will meet you in your deepest need? Will you dare to be rooted and grounded in Christ? The second wound is the one, it's uncontainable feelings. It makes me think of a sieve. Sometimes I feel like a sieve. Everything comes in and everything goes out. This woman is often overwhelmed, disorganized, and has a hard time making decisions. As a young mother, I was overwhelmed. I don't know how we all lived, to be honest. It was a crazy time of our life. I really don't know how we made it. But during that season of anxiousness and craziness and being overwhelmed, Philippians 4, beginning at verse 6, really became an important verse and passage to me, section of scripture to me. It was one that, it's one that all of you know pretty familiar, familiar with, but uh, God took it one day and he literally tore it apart and showed me that it was literally a plan and steps for me to follow so that I would not be walking in overwhelmedness and, and anxiety the, all the days of my life. So I'd like to read it to you. Philippians 4, beginning at verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's a command here. The first part says, be anxious for nothing. It's not, well, if you're thinking about it, you might want to maybe put the anxiety aside. It says, be anxious for nothing. It's telling us, 
Don't be anxious. Well, that's easier said than done, isn't it? I had extreme anxiety for a season in my life. I couldn't even walk to the, I remember walking to the grocery store one day, getting to the doors, turning around, going back in the car and going back home. I didn't want to come out of my house. I was on medication. I couldn't breathe. I thought I was having a heart attack every five seconds. I literally had anxiety attacks. This is the passage that I believe God used to heal me. And so I would go to this and I'd said, okay, Lord, you're telling me not to be anxious, but this is what I'm anxious about. We'll use tonight for an example of my anxiety. Okay, not that this scares me at all standing up here in front of all of you. No problem. You come up here and do it. Go ahead. Okay. Um, so let's just take tonight for an example. Lord, I feel anxious about tonight, but you're telling me not to be anxious. You're asking me to come to you in prayer. You're telling me to come to you with my thoughts, with my questions, with my requests, and to let them be made to, known to you with thanksgiving. And so, Lord, first I want to thank you for every woman that's in this room. I want to thank you for the amazing work that you've been doing here tonight, this, the last few weeks. I want to thank you for the touches, the emails that I've been getting, the stories that I've been hearing. I want to thank you for the privilege of getting to serve in this way. And, Lord, my request is this, that they not hear me, that they hear you. My request, Lord, is that when they walk out of this room, every single woman here tonight would be touched by you in some way. And then, this is the key, in verse 7 it says, And the peace of God, which passes understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. See, when we're anxious, we cannot keep our mind and our heart focused on Christ. And so I literally do this. And now, Lord, your word promises you're going to give me peace that surpasses all understanding. And so, Lord, I'm ready, and I am receiving your peace in the name of Jesus. And I pray that you will keep my heart and my mind focused on you. I receive your peace in Jesus' name. Now, every single time I've done that, I've received peace. And every single time I've done that, the anxiety has stopped because of one thing. When we're anxious, it goes over and over and over in our head. But when we finally stop and go, what is it you really want? What is it you're anxious about? What is the need you have? And we put it out there, and then we ask for God to meet us in that need. All of a sudden, the anxiety washes away. One of the things that I've discovered is that Jesus can truly contain all of our emotions. I've been labeled emotional my entire life. Any other sisters in the room? Come on, be brave. All right. Isn't it wonderful being in a room of all women except for the two beautiful men in the back? We are so grateful for them. They are the bravest men on the face of the earth, are they not? But we're girls, so we can all admit today that we're emotional. Hallelujah. There's been different times in my life that um, people have had a hard time dealing with my emotions. My husband, bless his love and heart, um, has tried so terribly hard, but there are days when my emotions are up, down, around, back and forth, in, up, and the man can't keep up. It's just the way it is. He's not wired the same. But the interesting thing is there's another person that hasn't been able to handle my emotions, and that's been me. There have been times when I've been terribly afraid of my own emotions, of my own pain, of my own grief, of my own fear, where it's been beyond me, bigger than me, more than I could contain, more than I could handle, more than I was able to control. And it's been in those times that I have had to really wrestle myself to the ground and get myself to Jesus because he can contain those emotions that scare me. I didn't know what to do with them. So I began trying to take them to the Lord and trying to talk to him about my fear and trying to do that. And you know, we have time out with the kids. Well, guess what? In our house, we had mommy time out because mom was a rageaholic. So there were times when I literally had to say, I'm taking a time out. 
and I would go up the stairs, I would shut the door, I would go to my knees, and I would start sobbing and screaming into the mattress, sometimes beating it. I had rage in me that I didn't understand. I had pain in me that I didn't understand and couldn't control. But when I took it to the Lord, he was okay with it. He created our emotions. He's not afraid of them. He doesn't feel the need to correct them, analyze them, or put them in a container. He does not tell us, don't be emotional. He does not tell us, stop crying. He does not tell us, you fill in the blank. So when I learned to go to God and literally let it out and let him have it, there was always this amazing peace that would come after the storm. But the more I would hold it in, the more pain it would cause in my body, in my spirit, in my soul, and in my emotions. But the more I learned to take it to him, the more I watched him become the great soother in my life. Psalm 57, beginning at verse 1, says, Be gracious to me, O God. Be gracious to me, for my soul takes refuge in you. And in the shadow of your wings I will take refuge until destruction passes by. I will cry to God most high, to God who accomplishes all things for me. I have found God to be a soother. I have found him to be a refuge. I have found his wings to be a shelter and a place of rest. In John 16, verse 7, this passage of scripture, this area of scripture, Jesus is telling his disciples that he is going to be leaving and the Holy Spirit is going to be coming. And the Holy Spirit, it's important that he comes because he's going to fill them all. And he's the spirit of truth. And he's going to speak to them truth. And he is going to be, in verse 7, comforter or counselor, depending on your translation. I love the translation comforter. Because I've needed a lot of comfort in my life. And um, this passage has meant a lot to me because of that. So I'm going to take you through another prayer that I've learned. Are you picking up how we get through these things yet? taking the scripture, believing the scripture, talking the scripture right back to God again, and standing on it, and then walking away with his promises. It works every single time. Now, I don't get to tell him how to do it, but I can bring it back to him and ask him to do it in me. And so, this is what I would pray if I needed comfort. Lord, I'm coming to you. My heart hurts, and I need your comfort Lord, your word says that your Holy Spirit is a comforter, and I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to comfort my soul and my heart right now. I ask you to wrap your arms around me. And Lord, I pray this for these women right now. Anyone in here who needs comfort, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would make yourself known to them as the one who can soothe their soul, the one who can soothe their mind. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wound is the identity-challenged wound this person struggles to take ownership of their own life and develop their own identity. And this is important because we have to have a separate life and will in order to be able to turn our life and will over to Jesus. When we are told to come to Christ and to give him our life, if we don't really have a life, maybe our mom still has our life. We're still really tied in some way. We don't have it and we can't hand it over to the Lord. I so have tried not to do this, but I know that there's been times that I have, and that is we live vicariously through our children. Some of us, our mothers, tried to live vicariously through us. 
Maybe there were failures, opportunities they didn't have, things that they so wanted for us that they didn't get, and they tried so hard to make that happen in our lives that it became something that bound us rather than freed us or lifted us up. And the same is true for some of us mothers who have done that to our children. I had to really um, challenge myself to look at my daughters individually because of that sameness thing I was grown up with. I had to really look at them as individuals. I had to pray and ask God to give me eyes to see them for who they were, that, the way he created them to be, and ask God to show me their strengths and the beautiful things that were about each one of them and the individual things that were about each one of them. And God did that. He showed me who they were individually. And... Um, once we did that, once I saw that, it was so much easier for me to stop trying to fix them. I know none of you ever try to do that, and nobody's ever tried to fix you, praise God. But sometimes that's what we do. We try to fix the person instead of looking at what did God design, and can I celebrate that and be excited about that. I just saw the movie Rodantha this last weekend. There was an interesting scene in it, and I don't want to ruin it for any of you that haven't seen it yet, but of course, like all the other movies right now, this is an out-of-wedlock relationship that takes place at one point in the movie. But, and she has a, a husband that's separated from her, and at this one point, she's trying to explain to her daughter that this other man was able to bring her to a place that she could be the real person she was created to be. The real person, she was free to now be her. And she could be the best her she could ever be. And that, that came through this other man, not her dad. And I was watching that and listening to that and thinking, that is the lie that we all believe. That a person will make us be all that we can be. That a person will be able, whether it's a mother, whether it's another man in our life, whatever it is, that we have believed the lie that a person will help us be the real me. And the truth of it is, there is one man in my life that has caused me to be who I am today, and that's Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus, I love Richard, but Richard is second. He's an amazing man, but he ain't Jesus. Jesus is the love of my life. He gives us opportunities to operate in our strengths. And when we're in our weaknesses, he comes alongside us with his strength. And his power is made perfect in our weakness, the scripture teaches. Can you even wrap your brains around that? At your weakest moment, God's power, almighty God, his power is made perfect in your most weakest moment. Now, only God can think of something like that. I love Jesus. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You see, once we have our life, and then we come to Christ and we give him our life, he does this amazing thing. He gives us his life. And what happens is that means all of the good, all of the pure, all of the power, all of the potential of Christ is now residing in each one of us. We exchange lives. Christness alive in us. 
and what begins to happen as we grow in our walk with Christ, as we learn to take his word in, as we learn to walk with him, is on most days, I still leak some of the bad stuff, but on most days, hopefully, I leak Christ more than I leak the pain of the past. And so if you want good stuff coming out of you, Jesus Christ is the answer to that. Galatians 5, beginning at verse 22, talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, long-suffering. Those are all different fruit of the Spirit. It's the things that begin to birth itself in us and start to come out of us and make us taste better than anger and resentment and bitterness and pride. Those are icky. <laughs> in case you haven't figured that out yet. All right. The fourth wound is performance-based approval. I don't know how I got this or where I got this, but I am so hard on myself, it's not even funny. And uh, have always pushed myself really, really hard. And I beat myself up worse than any of you could ever do it. Uh, anything that comes from any person in my life, I take it and multiply it about 10 times. In case they didn't do it right, I make sure we cover all the bases and we beat me up really, really good. Anybody do that in here? Just one of you? Okay, good. One honest woman in the room. Why do we feel the need to perform? The amazing thing is, is that I pass this on to my children. Hence the, you better save up for therapy phrase. I... Uh, my oldest daughter especially got it, and I remember when she was in about 7th or 8th grade, I remember one day she was um, sitting at the table, and she was doing her homework and crumpled it up and threw it down, and wrote something and crumpled it up and threw it down, wrote something else, crumpled it up and threw it down, wrote something else, crumpled it up and threw it down. I watched her from a distance, and I watched her do this about 10 times. And all of a sudden, it was like the Lord just really took the scales off my eyes, and I walked up. And I just put my arms around her. And I sat down with her and I said, Honey, whatever you're trying to do, it's okay. Let's work on this together. It's good enough. Let's pray and let's do this together. And I had to work from that point on to let her fail. To let her make mistakes. To let her not do things so perfect. To let her spill milk. To let her wear funky clothes, she still swears that she is the one that came up with the safety pins on clothing. Way before safety pins on clothing came out, my daughter's pants were too short. She cut them off, rolled them up, and stuck safety, safety pins all around them and wore them to school when nobody else ever wore safety pins on their school, at, at school, on their pants. Blah, blah. Anyways, we need a funny story right about now, don't we? Okay. My daughter was wearing safety pins on her jeans to school before anybody else ever did that. <laughs> huh, Cassie? <laughs> and she was brave, and she just walked off, and I'm sitting here thinking, I'm letting my daughter go to school with safety pins on her pants. And the next thing I know, a few years later, everybody was wearing safety pins on their pants. She swears she's the one that started that trend. We have to let them be who they are. And I had to let her fail. I still struggle with this daily. 
When people are displeased with me, I quickly try to jump through the hoops for them. I fight constantly not to perform for other people. But the thing that I learned that really scared me was when I realized one day that I was actually taking this wound in my life and I was using it in my relationship with God and I was trying to perform for him. You see, that's what we do. We get it off of people and then for some reason at some point we turn around and we just do it with God because we think we're not good enough for him either. And we think that he wants us to reach a certain level. And so we write, we crumple up the paper and throw it down. We write, we crumple up the paper, we throw it down. We write, we crumple up the paper, we throw it down. Even with God. You see, others may not approve of me, but God does. Romans 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8. There's a beautiful story in scripture that reveals this truth. It's about a woman who was caught in adultery, and it's in John chapter 8. I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to tell you about it. This woman, it says, was caught in the act of adultery, meaning caught in the act of adultery. (laughs) And they pulled her from her bed and drug her into the temple courts where Jesus was teaching. So right now, Jesus would be up here teaching. And then somebody would drag this naked woman or a woman maybe wrapped in a sheet and drag her down to the front and make her stand in front of all of you and tell her sin to all of you. And that's what happened. Jesus is amazing. They were trying to trap Jesus and they wanted to see what they would do because the punishment for adultery was to be stoned. And so they all watched and waited. And Jesus bent over, and to this day, I want to know what he wrote in the sand. And he knelt over, and he wrote in the sand. And then he stood up. He knelt over, he wrote in the sand again. And he stood up again. And he looked at all of them, and he said, You who has no sin cast the first stone. The interesting thing is, is it says, the oldest left first. There was wisdom in the room. You see, the longer we live, the more we know what we've done wrong. And so they left first, and then this beautiful exchange takes place with this woman, I'm sure, that's in a heap, trembling, broken, ashamed, embarrassed, frightened, And Jesus looks at her and says, is anybody here to condemn you? And she looks around and she says, none, master. He says, then neither do I condemn you. Now go and don't live a life of sin any longer. You see, in her moment of sin and in her moment of weakness and in her moment of failure, she received grace. Daily, In my moments of failure, failure, I receive his grace. It wasn't just the day I came to the Lord. It's daily. Daily I fail. Daily I misbehave. Daily I must go to the cross and let him love me there. Number five, the inequality wound. My kids, bless their loving hearts, 
uh, one summer when they were about seven or eight years old, I warned them they were gonna get talked about tonight, so we're all good. Uh, when they were in seventh and eighth, I don't know, around there, sixth, one was sixth grade, I don't know, they're like three years apart, so sixth and, eight, sixth and eighth, something like that. There was this one summer, I mean, those two girls just about clawed each other's eyeballs out. They were just so, so ornery with each other and fight constantly, constantly fight, 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 fight. And me and my sister fought our whole life, and I swore my girls were not going to fight. Well, that didn't work, but we tried. So this one summer, it was all about being fair. Every single thing they said was, it's not fair. Oh, you can do better than that. It's not fair. I heard it over and over and over again, and I had an inspired, revelatory moment of the Lord in the kitchen. In the middle of this, I began a sermon, and it went something like this. Life isn't fair. I love you, and whatever you need, your dad and I are going to make sure we, we try to give you what you need when you need it. But just because you need it and you get it does not mean that you're going to get it when she needs it. And so guess what? When we love you, we love you, we're going to give you what you need, and then we'll make sure you get it. But that doesn't mean she's going to get it when you get it. Do you both get it? And I mean, I went back and forth, and then I said, and it will never be fair in this house again. <laughs> and I walked out victoriously. <laughs> Wouldn't you love to be a fly on the wall in my house? <laughs> Do you know it was hysterical? Those girls both stood there dumbfounded. And then they looked at each other. And for some reason, they got along the rest of the summer. I think we might have had to have that conversation again the following summer, but at least it worked for a few more months, and they got along really well. This wound, you find it difficult to be equal with your peers. You're usually in one-up or one-down relationships. 2 Peter 3, 2 Peter 3, verses 8 and 9. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance in him. God treats us equally. We may have unequal relationships, and we may not know how to look at each other equally, but God treats us all equally. However, he does not treat us all the same. The cross is level at the ground of the cross. We all have to come to the same place with the same baggage and drop it there, and we need a Savior. That's the same, and it's all equal. There's, there's room for everyone at the base of the cross. But how we're treated afterwards is individual. And God works in each of our lives, and Pastor Chuck, I, that was one of the best sermons I've ever heard on that topic this morning. The way he taught that this morning was powerful. There's a lot of things that come into play in our life. There's evil, there's free will, there's God's will, there's our choice, there's all kinds of things involved. And you know what? God knows all of that. He can handle all of that, and he knows what you need. He also created each of you differently, and you're not supposed to be the same. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 12, there's this whole section on the body of Christ, and I really, really love it. It's about some of you are pinkies, and some of you are knuckles, and some of you are earlobes, and some of you are hair, and some of you are nostrils, and some of you are eyelashes, and some of you are eyelids, and some of you are knees, and some of you are shins, and some of you are thighs. I'm so sorry that you're a thigh. And some of you... <laughs> I won't go any farther. <laughs> you understand? We're all different, 
And some of us feel sorry for some of the other parts. <laughs> and we're so glad we're not that part. But you know what? I'm going to tell you something, and I mean this with all my heart. What I do up here is what God's called me to do. It's not because I'm better than anybody else in this room. What Mary Ann does at the door, and she's going to hate me for this, she does year in and year out, every Sunday night at the door, and she greets, and she's one of the best greeters I've ever met. Joan, she meets us with hugs every Sunday. There are people here, that's what they do. They are who they are. God's called them to be them, and they rise to the calling that God's called them to, and they are the best them they can be. And it's my job to be the best me I can be. And I only bring this because this is what God's asked me to bring. Otherwise, I would be at the door too. I'm okay with that. And so we need to be okay and stop measuring each other with each other and learn to be excited about whatever part of the body God's called us to be and allow him to train us in that and teach us in that and grow us in that. And we need to do that with our children. And if that wasn't done to you, then I'm giving you permission today to explore who has God called you to be? Who has God created you to be? What has he uniquely put inside of you that is in no one else in this room and no one else in this universe? What dream has he given you? What has he called you to? And the last one. I won't grow up. Anybody remember the uh, Toys R Us commercial? No, I won't grow up. Something like that. Okay, that's why they sing, and I don't. All right. In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 9, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, and when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. The part in there that's about being a child. There are childish ways when we are a child, and we're allowed to be there because we're children. But when we're adults, we have to stop being a child. Now, that's painful sometimes. But there has to be a separating. Have any of you ever wondered what the teen years are all about? This is what the teen years are all about. Children trying to be adults. Children trying to separate from adults children trying to be their own person. And we will become wise when we learn how to put safety rails around them, but move those out just a little bit at a time until they discover who they are and become the adult that God has called them to be. I grew up too fast. Being an abuse victim, my innocence was taken at a very early age. I tend to be mostly serious. I don't allow myself to have fun. I push myself constantly, and I happen to marry a man that's pretty much the same way. We have to really purpose ourselves to have a good time. We have to make ourselves enjoy life. We purposefully have to do those things. The last two days I went, I took me days because I finally just had to go and have some fun. So yesterday was nail and toe day. The day before was apple pie at O'Glen Day. And so there you go. Okay, I had to make myself do that even though there's a ton of things I need to be doing because I'll just keep doing and doing and doing until I crash. However, for some, mom is still doing it all for you. And you're 30, 40, 50, 
60. And mom is still doing it for you. Or mom's at least giving you her opinion constantly, and you're running on her opinion. And there's a tie there that's unhealthy. And there's a tie there that needs to be broken. My kids are in adult stages. One's 24, one's 21. By the end of the series, you'll be so sick of hearing about my two kids, you'll wish I would have had eight. Then it would have at least added some variety. <laughs> they have made choices, some of them, that I wish were different. I absolutely adore my son-in-law. He is so precious. However, I wish he was a Californian and not a Tennessean because my daughter is in Tennessee. But that was her choice and her decision, and it was a God one, and I know it was, and we bless her in it, and we're excited for them. But there's also decisions they've made that I'm really proud of and really excited about and really grateful. When they became high schoolers, the last one, when Amy graduated high school, I remember one day looking at both of them and saying, I think I just got fired. I spent my whole life taking care of you two, and now I just got fired. You see, the opposite result, if you don't get fired as a mom, is that your adult child is still sucking on a bottle for the rest of their life. And so we grow up with our children, and then we have to push them out the nest. And some of us have to push ourselves out the nest. It's time for us to do that. Where's Jolene? Come on, darling. This may be overwhelming to you. You might not remember all of this and wonder, how am I going to get this all straight? I just want to tell you something. When I came to Christ, I did not know anything. I just knew I needed a Savior. The amazing thing is, is that he worried about the rest. He worried about getting me from point A to point B, from point B to point C, and now we're still going over the alphabet about the 50th, 50th time. He's still moving me one step at a time. Sometimes we go back about four steps together. He picks me up and moves me forward again. You see, I didn't know all of this. I didn't know what it meant to be a Christian. I didn't know how to grow as a Christian. I didn't know what it was going to require. All I knew is that I needed Jesus. All I knew is that he was the only one that could fill the void in my heart. And I don't know how I knew that because I really hadn't heard anybody preach on Jesus. I just knew in my spirit that Jesus was the answer. And some of you in this room tonight, you know that Jesus is the answer. Some of you have already proclaimed him as your Lord and Savior. You have already walked forward. You have already boldly said, Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. And I stand here today and I acknowledge that. And you are wrestling with him and you are working through this life together, but he has not left you and he has not forsaken you and he is taking you from point A to point B. But there are those in here and I know that God has called you by name and you're pulling one of these. La, 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 God knows you. He knew you before you were born. He has been your God since you were born. He has followed after you since the day you were brought into this world. He has never taken his eyes off of you. He has never stopped thinking of you. His heart has never stopped longing for you. My question is, are you ready to receive his love? Are you ready to be rooted and grounded in the love of Jesus Christ? That invitation is open to you tonight. Let's pray together. Lord God, we exalt you and we praise you that you are the answer to any wound that we might have. We thank you, Lord, that you are bigger than our pain. 
We thank you that you can contain our pain, that you can heal our pain, that you can strengthen us, that you can make us be all that you've called us to be. Lord, we're overwhelmed by who you are, and we are so grateful, and we thank you. And I pray for the women in this room, Lord God, who know you and are hurting. I pray that you would heal them. I ask that you would touch them, that you would restore them, that you would fill the void in their heart, Lord. And now, for those of you that are Christians, please keep praying. But for those of you that have not ever accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, this is for you. If you know that God is calling you and he's tugging your heart and you will be courageous and bold, would you raise your hand and let me know that you want Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? We're going to pray a prayer together. Would you raise your hand if you want to accept Christ as your Savior tonight? Praise God for you. Any others? Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Thank you. God bless you. Anyone else? Praise God for you, honey. You're the only one that knows if he's calling you. Praise God for you. Let's pray. If you raise your hand, pray this prayer with me. And if I didn't see you prayed anyways, God knows you're here. Lord Jesus, I come to you confessing that I need you. I thank you that you died for me. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you know me and you love me anyways. And I accept you, Lord, as my Savior. And I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I want to commit my life to you, Lord, and live for you. I thank you, Lord, for being my Savior and my friend. In Jesus' name.